Welcome to the Neuropathy Support Group and Podcast. I'm Chris, and I'm so glad you tuned in. It's my hope with this podcast to help all of us gather information that might help those that need support dealing with this debilitating issue. Hello, and welcome to this podcast. Before we get started, let's get the formalities out of the way with the medical and privacy disclaimer. I am not a doctor or medical professional. The information on this podcast is from personal experiences and is meant for group support. Additionally, the information discussed is not meant to diagnose, treat, or cure any underlying conditions associated with neuropathy. All names here within are private and will not be shared with any outside sources. Please consult your health care provider before making any health decisions. If you have medical concerns or an immediate emergency, please contact your doctor or dial 911. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to me, I guess, because this is my uh, first podcast of this season, season two. I'm just so grateful to be back. I've kind of missed doing what I do here for you, but um, I just hope that everyone had a great vacation, or not vacation, but holidays these last uh, two weeks, and I'm hoping for all of us that this new new year here, 2022, is going to be a lot better than it was last year, and hopefully our pain or whatever issues we're dealing with can be reduced by some degree, but you know what, again, thank you, I miss you guys, and let's get started on this week's episode. So today we're going to talk about a topic that uh, kind of works together with itself is gastroparesis and diabetes. So first let's get a definition of what gastroparesis is. It's also called delayed gastric emptying is a disorder in which the stomach takes too long to empty its contents. It often occurs in people with type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Gastroparesis happens when nerves to the stomach are damaged or stop working. The vagus nerve controls the movement of food through the digestive tract. If the vagus nerve is damaged, the muscles of the stomach and intestines do not work normally, and the movement of food is slowed or stopped. Diabetes can damage the vagus nerve blood glucose levels remain high over a long period of time. High high blood glucose causes chemical changes in nerves and damages the blood vessels that carry oxygen and nutrients to the nerves. So let's talk about some of the signs and symptoms. So the first is heartburn, nausea, vomiting of undigested food, an early feeling of fullness when eating, weight loss, Abdominal bloating, erratic blood glucose levels, lack of appetite, reflux, spasms of the stomach wall, and these symptoms may be mild or severe depending on the person. So here's the complications associated with gastroparesis. If food lingers too long in the stomach, it can cause problems like bacterial overgrowth from the fermentation of food. Also, the food can harden into solid masses called bezoars that may cause nausea, vomiting, and obstruction in the stomach. 
Bezoars can be dangerous if they block the passage of food into the small intestines. Gastroparesis can make diabetes worse by adding to the difficulty of controlling blood glucose. When food that has been delayed in the stomach finally enters the small intestines and is absorbed, blood glucose levels rise. Since gastroparesis makes stomach uh, emptying unpredictable, a person's blood glucose levels can be erratic and difficult to control. So here are some major causes of gastroparesis. Gastroparesis is most often caused by diabetes, post-viral post syndromes, anorexia, surgery on the stomach or vagus nerve, medications, reflux disease, smooth muscle disorders, nervous uh, system dis diseases, and metabolic disorders. So here's the uh, diagnosis. The diagnosis of gastroparesis is confirmed through one or more of the following tests. A barium x-ray, which at that point you got to fast for 12 hours and then you got to drink that thick uh, liquid called barium. The next one is barium beefsteak meal. You will eat a meal that contains barium, thus allowing the radiologist to watch your stomach as, as it digests the uh, meal. The next one is radioisotope gastric emptying scan. You will eat food that contains radioisotope, a slightly uh, radioisotope substance that will show up on the scan. The next are blood tests. The doctor may also order laboratory tests to check blood counts and to measure chemical and electrolyte levels. So the treatment. The primary treatment goal of gastroparesis related to diabetes is to regain control of blood glucose levels. Treatments include insulin, oral medication, changes in what and when you eat, and in severe cases, feeding tubes and intravenous feeding. It is important to note that in most cases, treatment does not cure gastroparesis. It is usually a chronic condition. Treatments help you manage the conditions so that you can be as healthy and comfortable as possible. And after that, it, it just um, gives you a breakdown of each of those uh, types and topics that help you with this gastroparesis, like the feeding tube or changing your meals when and what you eat and so on, which I'll post this in my um, Facebook page to make sure that you um, we'll be able to see the additional information that I'm talking about. So some of the points you want to remember with gastroparesis is it may occur in people with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. It is the result of damage to the vagus nerve, which controls the movement of food through the digestive system. Also, the vagus nerve becomes damaged after years of poor blood circulation and glucose control. Also, symptoms of gastroparesis include early fullness, nausea, vomiting, and weight loss. And gastroparesis is diagnosed through tests such as x-rays and scannings. Treatments include changes in what we eat and when we eat, changes in insulin type and timing of injections and medications are uh, some of the things that are uh, for some of the points to remember with gastroparesis. Now myself, I do have acid reflux issues where I take a, a mixazole 
uh, from my doctor. So that's something I've dealt with for a long time. And that seems to help me really, really well. So let's, I'm going to break down the symptoms uh, real quick with you and let you know each, each one that I'm going to be talking about. It gives a little description behind it. First, uh, number one symptom is going to be vomiting. One of the most common symptoms associated with gastroparesis is vomiting. This can occur for a number of reasons, one of which is the stomach is holding on to too much food. Vomiting often occurs when the body needs to expel or reject something that does not serve it. In the case of people with gastroparesis, vomiting can occur because the body is rejecting food that has either been sitting for too long or it does not have the energy or ability to process it properly. Number two symptom is nausea. Nausea is a feeling that most of us are aware of. It is a queasy sick feeling that occurs when we're struggling with flu or motion sickness. The feeling of nausea usually settles in and can act as an indicator that we're about ready to vomit. In cases of gastroparesis, nausea may be a fairly consistent problem. If food is unable to move through the stomach at a healthy rate, then it may sit and lead to feelings of nausea and digestive upset. Number four, bloating. Bloating is a sensation of being uncomfortably full. It usually affects different areas of the digestive tract, that's like the stomach and the intestines, and is most commonly caused by the issues like gas and indigestion. However, people with gastroparesis are also known for experiencing bloating on a regular basis. In some cases, the bloating can be relieved by passing gas or belching. Unfortunately, it is exclusively the result of food being stuck in the digestive tract. It can be more difficult to manage. Number five, regurgitating undigested food. People with gastroparesis may notice that they find themselves regurgitating food that has been di uh, digested. This means that if they vomit, they will be expelling bits of food from their last meal or in more serious con uh, conditions or cases from two to three meals prior. This is one of the clearest indicators of gastroparesis because it shows that food is not being broken down, digested, or moved out of the stomach. Next is acid reflux. Acid reflux is another problem that commonly afflicts people who are struggling with gastroparesis. Acid reflux is a term that's used to describe when a person's stomach acid comes in contact with the esophagus. Typically, the stomach acid remains within the, within the stomach where it can digest food. However, Various digestive conditions can lead to the acid rising into the esophagus where it can cause pain and discomfort and make eating much more uncomfortable than usual. Let me tell you a real quick story. Uh, before I realized I had acid reflux, there was a time that I, I ate a lot of pork at this one party. And when I came home that night, I started... Um, you know, aspirating. I, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk. I couldn't catch my breath for nothing. And it took some time for it to actually stop. You know, and I got to the point where I was starting to panic, of course, because I couldn't breathe. 
And so I went to the hospital immediately. And they gave me some Mylanta, which uh, coated my throat and coated, you know, my stomach. So that started to help out quite a bit. And then that's when I found out that I had reflux issues. I kind of remember the doctor talking about the, uh, there's a sphincter right there that keeps the food from coming back up that's um, right above your stomach before it goes in. And that was the issue I had. I had to start stacking uh, pillows. So I sleep with three pillows high. And I also make sure that I lay down on one side of my body on the side of it. So the food doesn't have that opportunity of coming back up. But when you have that and that happens to you, I mean, just having the things go into your lungs is just, it is very, very painful. It's not something I like. Uh, usually it does happen still off and on, but it's not as strong as it used to be. Next, symptom number seven is abdominal pain. Another thing that many people with gastroparesis report is abdominal pain. The pain can strike anywhere in the digestive region ranging from the stomach and the upper abdomen to the intestines in the lower part. This pain can be relatively uh, mild or quite severe depending on the degree of severity of the digestive issue. Number eight, changes to blood sugar. Gastroparesis is known to cause changes to a person's blood sugar levels. This is interesting because gastroparesis can actually be a, a complication of diabetes a problem that is most well known for the way that it affects a person's blood sugar levels. As blood sugar levels change, a number of symptoms can also ensue. These can include changes to balance, lightheadedness, shifts in injury, I'm sorry, shifts in energy, and other issues. Blood sugar's levels can fall if the sugars in the food that, are your, that you're eating are not digested properly, such as in the case of uh, people that suffer from gastroparesis. Number nine, lack of appetite. One of the most common issues that affects people struggling and get with gastroparesis is a lack of appetite. This occurs quite simply because there is a lot of extra food present in the digestive tract. It can be unappealing and uncomfortable trying to eat more food when what you have already eaten hasn't made its way out of the digestive tract. And finally, symptom number 10 is malnutrition. Because gastroparesis causes a lack of appetite, it's quite common for people struggling with the problem to develop various forms of nutritional deficiency. It can be difficult for a person to active, actually consume the recommended amount of calories when their digestion is working so slowly that the food that they're eating takes several days to pass through. Furthermore, sometimes the food that moves through the digestive tract isn't broken down in the, or absorbed properly. This can make it impossible for, for some people or someone to meet their daily calorie and nutrient requirements. So I have a little bit more time left and what I wanted to just run down real quick is how you should be making your food and what food to eat. Now what you want to do is make sure you eat small meals but more often. This says to at least take four to six times a day. Your stomach may swell less and empty faster if you don't put it through too much. 
A small meal is about a cup or a cup and a half of food. Also, you might try eating healthy food first. It's not a good idea to fill up on empty calories like desserts or snacks. Next, you're going to want to blend your meals. Liquids leave your, your stomach faster than solids. Toss your food in a blender or food processor with water, juice, milk, or broth. Also, you want to eat less fiber and fat. This, these can slow stomach emptying. You may feel okay if you stay under 2-3 to three grams of fiber with each meal. You might need to try to keep your fat between 30 and 50 grams a day. One other thing you might try is add high fat drinks. Your stomach might do okay with liquid fat. That's good news if you need more calories. And chew your food well. Solid food is harder for your stomach to digest. Your food should feel kind of like mashed potatoes before swallowing it. Next, you definitely want to stay hydrated. Drink plenty of water and other fluids every day. Dehydration can make your nausea worse. If you throw up a lot, your doctor may tell you to drink sports drinks or something else with sugar or electrolytes. Also, try to eat solid foods first. Try solid food in the morning and eat more liquid meals later in the day. If your symptoms are serious, your doctor may suggest you go on an all-liquid diet. Here's some things that you want to avoid. Too much fat. High-fiber foods. Tough food, which includes meats like steak and roast. You want to stay away from the dairy. You may not digest lactose very well. And that's my problem. That's the sugar found in milk products. Use lactose-free or non-dairy milk, like soy, instead. And I love my ice cream very much, so I take lactate before I eat any ice cream and afterwards also any dairy products. And that seems to help me. What you also want to do is, uh, of course, stay away from alcohol or smoking. You want to stay away from carbonated drinks. The extra air may fill up your stomach. Stay away from large amounts of fluid. Too much liquid at once can make you feel really full. Try to take small sips while you eat. Here's some things that you want to eat or drink. You'll need to try different foods to see what works for you. But your doctor may suggest some starches like white uh, bread, white pasta, crackers, English muffins, some grains like quick oats, rice, some protein like chicken, fish, tofu, some fruit like applesauce, bananas, grapefruit, vegetables such as carrots, zucchini, squash, and peppers. Make sure that they're well cooked and well peeled. Uh, dairy or plant-based options like skim milk, soy rice, almond milk, low-fat cheese, pudding or yogurt, high-calorie drinks like fruit juices, sports drinks, milkshakes, and smoothies. Other tips that you might want to check and uh, think about too is sit up, don't slouch or lie down while you're eating. Take a walk, keep a food journal, write down what you eat and how you feel afterwards. And remember, uncontrolled diabetes can also slow stomach emptying. That's because high blood pressure affects your nerves. Okay, so that's a couple things that you want to watch out for. So while I close this episode down, I want to thank you again for being part of this group. Also, if you guys have anything that you need 
to make some changes that you feel you need to in your life, you need to check with your doctor first before you make any changes to medication or anything. It's always better to get their um, advice first before you make any changes. So, the rest of this week, I want you guys to have a great, fun week. Try to invite friends over. Try to go out and mingle if you can. And have family over. Those things tend to make, um, make it better for you to not have and not time to sit down and think about the pain that you're in. And I found that to be true. These last few uh, weekends that my family's been coming over, I really don't have time to think about my uh, pain. I just sit there and, and enjoy the time that we have together. So that's my suggestion for you this week. And again, I will see you next Monday on this podcast. And again, thank you for being here. As we come to a close, it's my hope this podcast and other sources, such as product reviews that I have discussed today, can better our lives and give us some relief dealing with neuropathy. This episode plus others are posted every Monday on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And finally, whatever life throws at you, even if it hurts you, just be strong and fight through it. Remember, strong walls shake, but never collapse. Talk to you next Monday.